Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am just so thrilled to have Samantha Curry on the show. As a pioneer and leading authority on interspecies communication for over 40 years, Samantha has taught and lectured on animal communication in the United States, Sweden, Germany, and many other, other places, as well as setting up apprenticeship programs to certify animal communicators. She's been featured on numerous television shows, such as Turning Point with Diane Sawyer, Sightings, PM Magazine, The Regents um, Philbin Show, and The Phil Donahue Show. She has a beautiful documentary out that I've watched three times now, which is called (laughs) I Talk to Animals, a portrait of Samantha Curry. That's K-H-U-R-Y. Welcome to the program, Samantha. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. And I love the title interview with innocence i absolutely love that because part of that my childhood skills for communicating with animals is about our innocence of uh you know talking to our dogs or our cats or building forts or believing we could fly all of those so this fits in so perfectly with uh your title. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I know I love that title too. It was downloaded to me and and a couple of people questioned it and I said, Nope, that's what I'm going with and I just you know, I love it too. So so thanks for saying that. And I also I also have a oh gosh, such a, a close relationship to animals and young children. And I know you provide guidance and clarity to the tra- dog and horse trainers, vets, breeders, zookeepers, psychotherapists, and and just tons of people with their you know animal companions. So, can you tell us a little bit how you started on this journey? Well, I think I'll go back uh, to what were the three major um, aspects within my nature that geared me towards animals. The first was being adopted at six. That was pretty traumatic. I had to leave my my home and my dog and everything. And uh, then the next was my challenges with my mind. I was very dyslexic, and uh, my memory, I still have problems with both. I'll go to reach and turn one knob and touch the opposite. Even though I'm saying to myself, you've got to touch this knob, my hand does something different. So, and then the other most important aspect in this journey was being told at eight years old that God was my father. Now, being adopted, there was never anything said about my biological father. So when I was told that by a minister, I believed it as a truth. 
and it happened in a very unique way. I was spending the summer, and this is short, I was spending the summer with my cousin uh, by, up by Travis Air Force Base. My uncle worked on the base. So Sunday we went to church, and as we came out of the church, the minister takes everybody's hand and shakes it. This was a pivotal point in my life. So he bends down, he takes a hold of my hand, and it must have been about the service. But being only eight, (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) So I didn't have anybody ever, ever, ever ask me, do you know who your father is? So he bends down, takes a hold of my hand, and asks me that question, do you not know who your father is? And I said to him, honestly, no. Now he's thinking about heavenly, I'm thinking biologically. And he says to me, well, I believe that God is your father. that God is your father. And I thought to myself, no wonder they're keeping this a secret. And it was, I was given a little New Testament. So I would take my drawing stuff, my dog, my new, that little book, because I believe that book was about my family, go up on top of the roof in the back of the garage and uh, have these long conversations. So I was constantly going inside my mind and daydreaming and having these conversations with this being. So that has pretty much stayed my whole life where I internally go to ask questions, internally go for uh, you know a feeling of comfort. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I turned to my dog, Ginger, who was my parent. So... Those things went on for a long, long time where I had an animal that I could emotionally turn to. And then as an adult, um, you know, I had, uh, my son was, I think, almost 15, and I was raising four kids. And my, Christopher brought a pheasant. Now, this is the first time I actually knew that uh, I had talked to another species. Up to this point, my dogs, I think, were always giving me visions of opening the door, that they needed to go outside or they needed to get water. Kind of what we do on an average basis. You're watching television, your dog's staring at you, you (laughs) automatically get up and go do the right thing. (laughs) Never knowing that they just sent you a picture in your head of what they want. So that's what was happening. I always did the right thing with animals. They always wanted to be around me. I always needed to be around them. And then uh, Christopher brings home a pheasant that had been hit by a car. And I go into the kitchen, and on the counter, resting in his navy blue sweatshirt, is this huge male pheasant, absolutely stunning and uh, we ha- it was late in the day, and so we took it to a vet, and the vet just told us, you know, he doesn't have any broken bones, just put him in your- in a warm place in the backyard, and he'll fly away. He's just a little stunned. And so we followed what the directions were. And then uh, the next morning, I expect that he wasn't going to be there, and when I looked out, he was in the same place, and it you know, I could tell something was wrong, and I was frightened that he was going to die. And so I couldn't wait until the kids got went off to school. And, and I went out, and I sat down, and I folded my hands. And all I, all I remembered was I grasped my hands. I start to say this prayer because I wanted this bird to know that it didn't have any broken bones. 
And then all of a sudden, I'm having an experience where I fade away. And I mean, really and truly, there wasn't any kind of an identity of who I was. I became that bird. I know what it feels like to tip your feathers and and uh, have your wings out, tip certain feathers, and you turn to the right or left, up or down. Absolutely incredible experience to be in the sky knowing you're not going to fall. And so I had this incredible experience. Um, and then towards the end of that experience, it's kind of like coming back a little bit to me, but then I hear this sound that's drawing me like into a tunnel or something. And then I knew it was Christopher's voice saying, Mom, a car hit him. And I think what happened was I transferred information that he needed. I think we go into shock many times as humans, uh, and we can't heal if we don't know what what happened to us. Right. And so I think the same thing happened with the bird and myself. So once that information was transferred, I'm not kidding, I felt like somebody, uh, like a big, huge wind hit your chest, uh-huh. and I came back into my body, and I mean, I jerked. It was physical. And then I'm, I open my eyes, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me profoundly, and then he jumped on the arm of the chair right beside me, and I was in such a place, an expanded feeling of love and connection uh-huh. as if he was part of me. And so, uh, after the bird flew away, then I sat for quite a while, I don't know how long I sat there, and I'm in this altered state, I'm not me, I'm not the bird, and I went through a little bit of a terror, because my first husband had just, was uh, schizophrenic, and I thought that I was having, uh, that I was hallucinating somehow, that this couldn't happen, that, you know... What, and I was really great growing up, a daydreaming fantasy. I always getting in trouble in school and stuff or <laughs> not paying attention or daydreaming. Right. And so I went through a whole thing of trying to make it logical when you're having a non-logical experience. And I went through all kinds of thoughts in my head. Uh, maybe I saw a movie. Maybe I, uh, you know, I even went through but I'd never been in an airplane. And so once I went through all of that stuff, then I remember a thought that came to me about a movie where Merlin is, uh, King Arthur is being taught by Merlin, and there was a statement, uh, Merlin saying to King Arthur, you must let yourself become the eagle. The second I heard that in my head, I gave myself permission to have that experience. Up to that point, I didn't allow that. It was like, it's too foreign. It can't happen. You can't, you know, this can't happen. And out-of-body experiences were totally uh, not normal. Exactly. And there wasn't anything written about it. Right. (laughs) And spiritual transformative experiences. I mean, or near death. I mean, you didn't have any 
any idea of probably what that was. You know, it's so funny you say the Merlin and Arthur. I um, saw that in your documentary, and I just started watching it last night. Because Merlin, Merlin has come to me in um, more than one mediumship read, uh, readings, and mm-hmm. and then you brought it up, and so I was just watching it, and also he, King Arthur, had that really strong wind come through, too, when he was getting ready to, you know, when he was visualizing things that were to come, and so it was wow. so much like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and then once you have an experience that is so foreign about communication or being one with an, uh, another species, it it literally forced me to ponder it all the time. And then all of a sudden, I got this flash because everything I experienced as that bird was visual, what right. the ground looked like, what the feeling in the air was. Uh. But it was all visual, and I'm visually oriented. And so because I couldn't read or spell or remember information as a kid, man, I remembered the way that tree looked, the house looked, and that's how I navigated my life. And so I remember sitting and saying to myself, Sammy, everything you do is visual. You You can't even go to somebody's house without double-checking, oh, yeah, that's the right house. Oh, that, that, that way the mountains look, that's, I'm on the right track. Not the, the street sign, but the visual appearance of how to get to someplace. Yes. And so I'm sitting and I'm thinking about that, and I all of a sudden, aha moment came to my mind. What if we, is it possible if I gave a vision to my dog, Star, could we have a two-way conversation? Is this possible? And I, that's how it started. And so wow. then I, I thought, I'm sitting and having lunch, and I close my eyes, and I see Star, who was an Irish setter, uh, going in the backyard and getting his yellow tennis ball and then coming into the house and putting it in my lap. So I've got my eyes closed, and all of a sudden I hear the pet door going... <laughs> And he's coming in, and I and we had new carpet, and so I could hear his paws on the new carpet, yeah. getting closer and closer. And my heart's pounding and pounding, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he drops the ball in my lap, uh. <laughs> and I went, "Oh my God!" And wow. then then he became my teacher. Yes. I, I, I for a long time, I don't even know if it was six months or longer. I was giving him visions, go get the socks that I dropped, because with four teenagers, the washing was endless. <laughs> and so he would pick up the laundry I dropped, and then he'd bring it to the washing machine in the garage. And, and so this was, you know, I was feeling really, really smug. Mm-hmm. And uh, one afternoon, I'm sitting down, and I think Star's tired of me thinking this is a great tool. And I'm still not thinking how intelligent he is. That hasn't even entered my mind. This is all, oh, all I have to do is give him a vision and he's going to pick it up. Then he comes to me. I'm sitting in my chair. And he puts his nose almost to my nose. And he stares deeply into my eyes. And I feel his information. And the nonverbal was, now you will get to know who I am. And he gave me flashes of his life from his perspective. And I started to cry because I realized 
he was just a dog a minute ago. And now he's an intelligent being. Yes. And that was profound. Isn't it interesting how you have... Isn't it interesting how you had these challenges as a child and into adulthood, but those are actually the challenges that you now use in your profession and your community. I know that you talk about that the way we communicate with animals are, are the way we did things as children, you know, thoughts that stirred our open minds, making our creations seem real. And as you say, they came naturally to us, but in our growth, yeah. they started to fade because the norms of society didn't foster those potential skills. Then we forgot about the skill of daydreams. Yeah, uh, and as I said earlier, I was an expert at daydreaming in school Yeah, because the information, number one, the information that they wanted me to memorize regarding wars and uh, things that didn't inspire us to be the best we could, yeah. but to hold on to the worst that we are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and and not being able to remember the stuff and not being able to read uh, was devastating. So mm. I consistently went in and created a kinder world in my mind. Yeah. And so, not knowing that. Our natural skills as as kids is daydreaming, fantasizing, pretending, using that imagination, not even understanding that we are evolving that part of ourselves by the fact that we play Uh, and daydream and do all those skills. I started to question why. Why as a human species do we start out with those abilities? We build a tent. We pretend we're we're climbing up a mountain. We uh, do all these things in our mind and then build things on the outer to support that dream in the inside of our head Mm. and then make it real. And I think the only profession now when you really look at sports use that skill of pretending or daydreaming or fantasizing the end product in order to win that gold medal, in order to see the power of that. I really know for a fact that if we used our full skills, and I include those full skills as daydreaming, fantasizing, pretending, of those, the most important, I think, I have to add is, is pretending. Yes. Because when you, especially as an adult, pretending gives you the um, a permission to create anything in your mind. Yes. If you try to visualize or fantasize or daydream, because we've been told in school, stop daydreaming, you've got to pay attention to what you're doing. There's these things put on it. And it cuts it out. It makes it stop. Where as an adult, if I say, I want you to pretend that your dog is going outside squatting pee. I create a visual phrase because we're word oriented. But when we were learning to read, those uh, visuals, then we put words to those visuals like tree, 
and the and the symbol the letters to represent that then in time what happened is we stopped the visuals and then the words and the letters became um, representation of that mm-hmm. but the visual part of our mind isn't being stimulated so uh, I would say to all of those of you out there that have an animal that's let's just use going outside to pee uh, and they're not doing it and you're spending a lot of time thinking to yourself oh god by the time I get home I hope isn't peed in the house is a pet door I don't know why in the world he doesn't go outside and pee and so and then you're waiting to walk in the door and see the pee on the floor he knows already you're going to walk in being angry but they don't make the connection between your anger and the visuals you're giving them. The visuals is the pee on the floor. So all you need to do is start fantasizing and pretending and seeing him in your mind. Make a phrase. I love it when you go through the pet door and then on the grass squat and pee. And visualize that. Yeah, and visualize. And if you can't see it in your mind, then say the phrase. Because the phrase will bring up the vision. And it makes it easier. I'm really pushing lately on what are the easiest ways so people, because the average person right now has too much on their plate. And we have to have ways that make it easy. That's normal. So a phrase that says, I love it when you're outside, squat and pee. Now, There's something you can add to that. I was, when I was working with a dog once that was peeing, this was a dog's name wag. This is the reason that I allowed myself to get into the public because up to this point, people would bring their animals to see me. But it was kind of a secret. I didn't want people to know that I talked to animals because the thought of, you know, it was too abnormal. And there was a lot of uh, thinking that somehow uh, I was doing, it was just too weird. So they brought Wags to see me and uh, they peed in the house too close to the little girl who's seven years old. And the owner said, if he doesn't stop, she's going to take him back to the pound. Uh. She writes that on the card. Oh. And so I, uh, I wanted this dog to make this distinction between going outside. So I give him visions of uh, the difference of being inside the house, four walls, a carpet, a roof, the stillness. And then I gave him visions of rolling, playing, sleeping by his little girl, playing all, doing all of that. And then outside, the openness of outside, the feeling of the wind, seeing the trees, uh, you know, the breeze and the coolness on the grass and then squat and pee or lift. Uh, he was young, so I had him squatting and peeing. And, um, and then I showed him, you know, lift his leg and pee. And at that point, he let me know that uh, he twisted his back hips in order not, and I didn't know they'd twist their back hips so they don't, uh, get their front paws wet. Right. Oh, so I didn't either. I'm giving him this vision, feeling really good, but instead of the dog feeling relaxed, understanding what they want, he becomes more and more 
depressed and upset and he's pacing and I can tell that there's terrors coming up, huge, huge terrors coming up. So I let myself be him and we go back in time and I find out that he had two two children, another life before that, another family before that. And in and he makes the connection that all he had to do was be able to go outside and pee and he would have been able to keep his two children. The grief and the sound that came out of that dog's mouth as he howls crying and the visions of these two kids affected me so deeply. I decided that I didn't care how much fear I had regarding letting people know or getting in the public eye. I was going to let every single person know that their dog wags has a memory and can make changes. Yes. And so, um, that is yeah, so it profound. Was, he gave me pictures of the two kids and playing and getting up on the bed with them and playing with toys with them. And the little girl would put clothes on him. And, and then one afternoon, they were, he was taken away and when everybody was sleeping and taken to the pound. And then he gets another family. So I, I ended up telling him he would never lose Chelsea uh. and that he needed to... Uh, go outside. All he needed to do was go outside and pee. And uh, he would keep this family. Do you explain this to the family, all of this? Because... All of it, yes. Yes, I I love it. At that time, people uh, would come into my office, bring their dog, and then they would leave for an hour, tell me what the problem is. And then I would, uh, in order to find out what I wanted to know from an animal, I would give them... with Wags, I showed the anger of the mother. I wanted to, him to understand what her frustration was and her anger yes. regarding peeing inside the house. That's where I started with him. Most animals, um, I start with, let's say a dog is barking and it's all by himself in the house. It can't handle being alone. So I take the barking away. I say to myself, this is a... This is honest. I started this as a game as a child, not knowing it was going to be my most powerful tool. I literally say a prayer, and then I say to myself, what does it feel like to be you? And then I use the animal's name, and then I close my eyes. And the animal's behavior is their solution to stay safe. I take that solution away. So if the dog's barking in the house, in order to find out why it's barking, I pretend I'm the dog, and then I, t- I and I can't bark. I'm inside the house. I can't bark. I can't bark. Then it stirs the emotions up, and then bingo, I get to see what its belief systems are. Right. I'm going to give you a story about Cindy, yes. six-year-old black lab. This is really a crystal clear, easy way that people can see how I give clear information to an animal. Now, people called me up. Cindy is six years old. They've taken her on every single vacation. She loves getting into the car. They have no problem. They can't, she can't wait to get into the car. So they go on a vacation and they, they stop at a restaurant to eat. Cindy's in the car. It's never been any problem. They come out. The interior of the car is chewed up. It's clearly she's panicked. 
for a whole year, they try to get her to to find out why she will not get into the car. They have to lift this. It's an old couple. They have to lift this 70-pound dog and put it in the back seat. And she'll, and I asked him, can she, will she jump out of the car? Oh, yeah, no problem. Getting into the car, uh-uh. She squats, pees, shakes. So then, so I, can, I, I, I know, okay, it has something to do with getting in. It has something to do with jumping into the car. So I pretend I'm... Cindy, and I give her the vision of jumping into the back seat because her solution is don't get into the back seat. So I give her a vision of jumping into the car, jumping into the car, jumping into the makes her very nervous. Then all of a sudden, I feel I'm like a, uh, my experience with Anna is from their perspective. So I know that she's very little because my paws are big and I'm trying to get onto the baseboard of the back, back of the car uh, and I can see the back seat and the back of the front seat. So I know it's the car. And as I'm trying, my little back leg pushes, you know, falls off the, the floorboard. And I push a little bit more. But what happens is I almost get all of me into the car. My tail is in the doorway. They slam it. Oh. And I feel this excruciating pain up my spine. At the same time that happens, I hear this high-pitched screeching sound at the same moment. So I keep asking my own memory, what is the sound? What is it? Because I know that the sound can't create the pain. Right. And at that moment, I don't even know that the door is shut. All I do is I can feel the pain. So then I, I all of a sudden... Oh, that's air brakes from a big truck because my stepdad was uh, drove a big transport vehicle with other cars on it, and the sound was very familiar. So I separate the sound first for her, and then I know it has to be an object to hurt her tail. So then what I do is I go back and I show her in my mind. It was the door. They slammed the door at the same time. That's where the pain came from. So all you have to do, Cindy, is tuck your tail up against your tummy, and it's impossible to have it get caught in the door. That's all I did, is feel the tail up on my tummy, being her, jumping into the back seat. Then when they came, I asked them, "Did you? where did you stop to have your uh, dinner? And then, and uh, I make a mention. I was it at a truck stop, and sure enough, they spent one hour at a truck stop. That sound activated right. the memory of getting her spine hurt, her tail hurt. She believed it was going to happen automatically. Wow! And so, if we recognize that the memory is there, the difference between an animal past memory, they will create a solution, but then they don't remember what the incident is. Yes. Quite like us. Right. A solution that may not be what we would like for them to do. Yeah. And that's where you come in. Right. Oh, that's so, you know, I just, I just love this, this stuff. And I really want to encourage my listeners to watch Samantha's documentary. It will just 
it will just blow your mind. And Samantha, I, I'd like for you to come back because we don't, unfortunately, we don't have too much more time. And just tell some more stories about the elephants at the zoo. And I remember this, the story about the beautiful horse in your, in your documentary. There, there are just so many. But I'd like, to, um, I, I'd like to wrap this time up with you talking about what this does, this communication. This is just not, and even if it was, it would still be so important, so profound. But this isn't just trying to change a behavior and help a family and an animal. This is about, as you talk about, enhancing the advancement of compassion, kindness, love, and respect towards each other. And I want to, I just have to, I just have to read this quote. And this is about your book, your new book that is out, Beloved Animals, I See What You Say. And this is your quote. As you digest the words upon these pages, may you discover the personal uniqueness that is you, that awaits awakening within your mind and body to help create a kinder, more loving world. A world where we care about our planet and all the beings that inhabit it, and where we can transcend all differences through interspecies communication. I strongly believe that if a whole generation is taught that our inherent childhood beliefs are valid and real, that we can talk to our dogs and cats, then this can be a catalyst for fostering respect for the differences in others and can help us come to love and value our human diversity. May you discover this journey with your beloved animal companions and beyond. Wow. Wow. Yes, you, Samantha, you, I am so glad you live close to me in California because as you know, I really want to learn and I've already been trying your te techniques and I will share them later on one of my podcasts because they, it, it just works. Not to mention the connection you feel with your animal and we all love our animals so much. So I actually have some very exciting news to share for our listeners we are going to have Samantha back to, to tell some more amazing stories, but also she's agreed to come back once, maybe a few times, or maybe on a regular basis, and have you call in, I have to figure out how to do that, but have you, the listeners, call in with questions about your, about your animals, if you are having challenges, or you just want to know how they're feeling about something, and she will she will answer. So Samantha, I am so excited about that, and we'll be announcing. Samantha and I have to get it together, so we will be announcing that when it when it happens. Um, I feel like we have so much more to talk about, but I know one thing. Getting back to young children, is that you have um, a passion to to get this to your to the young and to teach them and I know your your grandson um what what's your grandson's name 
I have. Uh, I just had our second great grandson. Oh, okay. Well, that it was a while back yeah, when I read the information. Just, uh, not that long, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> right, right. But you were talking about that in the interview, and yeah. that now in this day and age, unfortunately, many don't lead this sort of thing. But I really think there is a transformation right. happening, and for our young children to. It validates themselves, not to mention just bringing them so close to these animals and enhancing all of the things we were just talking about. So, so anyway, I am rambling now. Would you like to end this this interview with any words of wisdom? Yeah, trust. I think mm. it would be trust. The memory you had when you used to fantasize and how powerful and wondrous the li- your life was. And I think the more that we engage with stimulating the visual cortex of our brain, then it'll bring more of those visuals back as you talk to your animals. Yes. Just by saying, you know, I love it when you lay and watch me oh. uh, versus barking, you know. Right. Or it, it, it get clear on what is it that you want your animal companion to do and catch yourself when you're thinking of just the opposite of what they're doing because they need an alternative. They need to have clarity from us. And so that's what I would leave you with is that kind of powerful tool. Engage in some part of your day where you fantasize a vacation in your head. Stimulate that. It's like exercising the mind, the visual part of our mind. Mm -hmm. And the techniques are not far out. They are not, you know, I want to bring our full body communication system back so that we include it as important as reading, writing, and arithmetic so that as we advance our planet and our relationship, then we will also um, advance our relationship with one another. It's easy to love the animals no matter what their appearance is. But we have to take a good look at uh, seeing the unique visual appearance of each person and how awesome that is so that we get past some of the stuff that we're trapped in at this point. And I think that's where animal communication comes in. Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much. And um, if people want to find you, how would they do that? Go to my website, just plug in samanthacurry.com, or if you just, uh, you know, uh, plug in Samantha Curry, there's a whole lot of information that comes up. Right. But, it, but if you want to know about classes and when my book will be out, then go to my website, and then there's a thing that's about a newsletter. You aren't going to get a newsletter because I'm not doing one, but <laughs> uh, we put on that. <laughs> we put that uh, information of when the next Zoom class will be and when I'm going to start my um, certification program for people yes. that really want to make this a livelihood and when the book is available. Mm-hmm. So just sign up for the newsletter and then that will automatically go into an email list and make a notation. I'm interested in taking the classes or becoming an animal communicator because yes. it's going to be an ongoing thing. It'll take about probably a year, two years for people to get completely certified at different levels. Right. And I make it very down to earth. Yes. Uh, so the tools are, you know, 
not only visual, but how do you get information from an animal? How do you give clear information to an animal? Right. Beautiful. Well, sign okay. me up because I absolutely, as my listeners know, animals and children, that's what makes my heart sing. Yes, so sign mine up. too. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Samantha, and you have a wonderful day. And we will we will talk to you soon. And thank you. You're I so totally very... enjoyed this. And thank I you to James. To Van... Thank you. Problem solving with your clients. Yes. And okay. thanks to James Van Prague, who told me all about you and adores you. And for those of you who don't know, James is one of the most renowned mediums and I would venture to say the world. And he will yeah. be on the show soon also. So thanks so much and you have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. You have an awesome life. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.